Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Ay 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 ay! It's the Ranger Command Power Hour! Today on the Power Hour, episode 208, Ranger Command interview, Mighty Morphin, 17 through 22, with Matt Groom, recorded on November 19th, 2022. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Summer Ranger up with your host, I'm Eric, also known as b 47 Once again, we are welcoming back Matt Groom to the podcast. He's best known in Ranger Nation as one of the hosts of the Ranger Danger podcast and writer for Mighty Morphin from Boom Studios. He is also the creator and writer for Inferno Girl Red, originally funded through Kickstarter, as well as the co-creator and writer for Self Made from Image Comics and co-writer with Kyle Higgins on Rise of Ultraman, Trials of Ultraman, and the current series Mystery of Ultra 7 from Marvel Comics. Welcome back to Ranger Command Power Hour, Matt. Thank you very much, Eric. You know, when you lay it out like that, I feel better about how tired I am. (laughs) Hearing that all listed out, I'm like, yeah, wow, that's a lot of stuff, actually. I also have a day job, so yeah. Um, Yeah, pleasure to be here. You know, I love you, you know that. I love the pod, so I'm very happy to be here chatting. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about this run of Mighty Morphin that you did because I just reread it earlier this morning, and it's just such a solid group of of issues. And well, I think you. it does a really good job of like rounding out that Mighty Morphin series. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. It, I a lot of heart went into it, um, so I'm glad that comes through. Yeah, for sure. So actually, just to catch the listeners up uh, with everything that you got going on, you actually did a convention tour here in the U.S. earlier this year. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe a couple of experiences or? Yeah, it was an interesting one, actually, because I, outside of Ultraman and Rangers, I don't have like a lot out right now. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. tabling at conventions. It was a little bit more informal. But I went to San Diego Comic-Con, which was amazing. It was my second time there and always a blast, always incredibly intense. Yeah. And then Michael and myself jumped on a train and (laughs) (laughs) honestly had a horrific time. I won't get into that. But we headed up towards the Chicago area and we started off with a massive verse pre-party in Lockport where uh, Ready Black is set, Yeah, where I saw a bunch of incredible people, including yourself, which was lovely to see you in person. Yeah, absolutely. Then after that, we were on to Chicago for C2E2, where we, um, yeah, we did massive panels at both San Diego and C2E2. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that sense, I was there in an official capacity, but for the most part, it was just uh, catching up with people, hanging out, talking to people about potential opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a blast to see you again as well, and um, just uh, ha- had great time with the Lockport event. It's so surreal. Kyle made that event possible, and mm. to have it kind of set where the Massiverse kind of kicked off was pretty cool. Absolutely. And I, I had a very similar experience, I think, to what a lot of fans did of knowing this place from the comic mm-hmm. and just arriving in town and being like, oh my God, like that's where Nathan died. And <laughs> exactly. This is the train crossing where the like the radiant was originally. 
So yeah, that's very cool. You know, as as well as anyone, mm-hmm. it's one of Kyle's superpowers is just making wild stuff happen. He um has this ability to be like, yeah, let's just do it, no yeah. matter how insane <laughs> it sounds, and he like manifests it. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll get right into uh, some fan questions before we deep dive into some of these issues. First, mm. at Judith Damen said, I wonder if it still feels unreal to go from the first Boom Room podcast with Kyle over writing one story in the free comic book day issue to become an official Power Rangers comic book writer, or if Matt has gone so used to it by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interestingly, both. Mm-hmm. It's still weird and yet is routine now. The range of connection of it all is so strange, right? Because, you know, as you said, I do the Range Age podcast, have been doing that for coming up in 10 years now. And absolutely, if not for that, I never would have ended up in comics. I never would have met Kyle. But also, as much as the anniversary eight-pager that Michael and I did was the first comics thing to hit stands, I was actually working on Self-Made and had that deal signed before I even began that. So... Like Rangers wasn't my first comics thing, but it's been, it kept coming back. And I, I was never expecting after that to work on Rangers again, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously it was Kyle and Ryan and they were killing it. And then Ryan was like architecting the universe and has done this amazing job for years and years. Yeah. And I had heard through channels that the previous administration had some hesitation about letting people like myself and specifically myself work on the brand for understandable Fans. reasons because I'm a fan. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like I understand why that was a dicey proposition. Uh, so I had kind of gotten to a point where I was like, yeah, like it's not going to happen. And that's okay. Like mm-hmm. I love comics. I love power Rangers. Those two things don't have to be the same thing. Sure. Necessarily. But yeah, then it happened and it was a, it was a kind of a really beautiful, like full circle moment in some ways of going from those boom room interviews with Kyle to uh, writing for the series myself. Was there any details about how this came together for Mighty Morphin? Because Daphna was still editing at the time. Did she mm. seek you out particularly, or did you have to pitch to do no, something? No, she sought sought me out. Really, what it all it was was. They knew, and I knew very soon going into it at the time, that Ryan was in the process of wrapping up his run. Right. Uh, And he was headed towards 100. But also, given everything that Ryan was doing, both on ranges and outside of ranges, even including, we can talk now about sort of the thing that Ryan's working on as well. There's just a lot going on in Ryan's world, and he couldn't keep writing both books. Yeah. And... There was this gap where they knew the series was going to wrap leading into 100. So there's six issues where they just, they had a hole. And Daphne, I think, knows I write comics, obviously. And also, the comics are an interesting place now where, especially going into 100, there's so many of them. It's very difficult to just bring in a comics writer, right? Because you have to know ranges. You also have to know these 100 issues, or really more given the other sort of branching things, know all of that. So the the amount, the group of people that really could have taken this on was actually pretty small. So yeah. I, think I, I just happened to be in the middle of the Venn diagram. Um, so she reached out and I was like, yeah, I'm happy to, happy to pitch. Nice. And I think this, this works really well because you had four issue arc with Rocky as well as 
the aftermath of the Altarian War with them finding the command center. And then just this mm. wonderful two-issue wrap-up with Kim and kind of leading to this Legacy Pink, which which we'll get into. But structure-wise, because we just released uh, episode 205 of the podcast where we talked to the other half of Charge to 100 with Ryan Parrott. So mm. on your half of Charge to 100, was this always kind of the goal of how to split it? Did you want to do an even split or Ryan had some beats to hit just to make everything come together for 100? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. The four and two structure was baked in from jump mm -hmm. uh, because... Like I had talked to Daphne about what the plan was. I talked to Ryan about what the plan was. I had seen the outlines that existed. And what we knew was that there was going to be the funeral. Everyone mm -hmm. was going to be there for Jason in that moment. Right. And because of the nature of it, we wanted all of the characters from across the line to be able to be there, be on earth and be kind of in a reflective state, which yeah. means that they can't, be popping out from a crisis it can't be like oh we're, we're just fighting tyranitor or whatever and we're here for the funeral but we've got to get back to it yeah so th that that means that there's going to be a four and two structure just by the nature of it sure um so i that was like the the thing to start with and then everything else was built from that that understanding especially this like four issue arc with rocky and then their quest to find the command center it just felt like slow in a good way because mm -hmm. it, it felt like a breath of fresh air where the Rangers could just, even though, you know, Rocky's dealing with the crisis, the Rangers are dealing with the crisis. It still feel, felt more like a bit introspective because a lot of the characters pair up with some really deep conversations that, that open some issues up. Yeah, it was very much intentional, I think, because I want to make sure I, I was contributing something meaningful. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, when Daphne reached out, I didn't say yes immediately because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing it for the sake of doing it. Like, that's my right. perennial fear is like doing a bad job because I am doing it for the sake of it. I want to make mm -hmm. sure that I had something to contribute. And I, I think like, Ryan would be the first to tell you that because of the epic sweeping nature of what he was doing and the focus on Zordon and the Altarian War, the Stone Canyon trio in particular hadn't had a, a lot of time front and center. Right. And I knew that what I had was opportunity to do that and to go a little bit more interpersonal, like bring the stakes down a little bit and bring the character drama up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I've said to Ryan is that like, when Kyle was on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Ryan was on GoGo, -Go, Ryan had the ability to spend more time in the down interpersonal stuff because Kyle was taking care of the big event level stake right. stuff. And I was in a very similar fortunate position where Ryan was taking care of the like big ticket Death Ranger, Andros. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. The huge yeah. stuff, which like you got to have the line needs it. It absolutely needs that to uh, make sure people are invested and interested. Yeah. But what that means is that with that taken care of, I can do something small and character driven uh, on the sidelines and yeah, give it that breather, give it that, that breath of fresh air, especially coming after the Altarian war, which is massive. Mm -hmm. It was like all consuming and I didn't want to go from that into the next massive thing. I wanted to take a beat and catch up and see how these events affected people. 
particularly because the Sonin trio in some ways have kind of gone from crisis to crisis since they started. Right. And to my mind, they've kind of had their period as the rookies. But once you go to war and you come back, you're not that anymore. You've changed. Like, you've earned your stripes. And to me, this was a chance to to kind of catch up with them and be like, okay, now that you've had some real field experience, now that you've gone to war, who are you now? And what might that mean for the future? And that was kind of what I wanted to get into. Yeah. And when I say, like, you know, the Stone Cannon Trio, each of them had a conversation with, like, their their other half. So Aisha had a great conversation with Billy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I don't care if I'm, if I'm not a ranger. I still want to help. And that kind yeah. of, you know, changes her perspective. And then also that planted the seed for the Kimberly arc, you know, Kimberly was talking to Adam and she was impressed by how fast they just took to being Rangers and and was kind of jealous. And then you had Mm. the great conversation with Rocky and and Matt when they're both getting being down and it's pretty much up to Rocky at that point. And he just has that loss of confidence and, and Matt kind of builds them back up. So there's, there's just some great pairings with, with each of the stone Canyon trio yeah thank you that was very much like when i was planning out what i wanted to do i was like what points do we want to hit with these guys and who are best to bring that out mm-hmm. and what pairings can we find that will that will achieve this best and i think that in doing that you naturally want to pair them with someone with more experience and in some ways as much as i would in being like all right so canyon trio let's explore it that kind of informed where I went with the second little arc of telling one story of the people coming into their own and finding it, and then telling the other story of the people who have already found themselves. Might be on their way out. And might be on their way out. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a comment from uh, Rollover Queen uh, at mm-hmm. Rollover Queen underscore. He said, ask Matt how many times I've got to break Zordon's tube to get him back to the series. <laughs> oh don't take it out on poor zordon (laughs) look no one is more guilty of breaking zordon's tube than us parodies comic writers so i'm not gonna like (laughs) shame anyone for that but uh look i don't know if i will ever be back i think melissa is doing oh yeah job i was like so stoked that she was the one because you know it also keeps it in the massive first family right like right we're friends i'm very proud that she's continuing on God, no, she's earned it more than anyone. She's been in the trenches yeah. on, on Rangers. So, yeah, I think she's going to kill it. I'm not saying I'll never be at back. But I guess as I was saying before, I am very conscious of doing Power Rangers just to do it. I want to make sure that sure. if I ever am doing it, it's because I am contributing something significant and I can, and it's going to be quality and meaningful. So if the situation arrives where that's possible, totally. I'm not going to turn it down. But yeah. Um, yeah, who knows, basically. <laughs> I certainly don't. <laughs> so Latch at Brian Dibble at Blistock one said, how much of Rocky's family was influenced by his actor? Um, he said, thank you for your run. It was fantastic. I hope you get to do more in the future. I look forward to seeing Inferno Girl Red in the Massiverse. Oh, well, that's very nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much by the actor. Because I know Ryan commented before that Steve Cardenas said that there was something in the script originally in the show where it kind of hinted that Rocky had a big family and they never got to pursue that. So, so was that just, you kind of took that idea and just ran with it? Yeah, actually you having said that, I think actually illustrates the pathway very clearly. If it going Steve Cardenas to Ryan, 
right to me because Ryan had planted the seeds for that in his run, and I knew that that was something that he regretted not having more time to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I part of my intention going in was like, yes, Stone Canyon Trio, as I said, but also specifically because I'm a fan, I'm so like in the weeds on it. I didn't want to just come in and write my favorite character being the coolest guy. I actually went in being like, all right, he's my least favorite character of this group. And that's Rocky. And what can I do to try and change that? Like, can I make myself love Rocky? And then in the process, make other people love Rocky. Uh, And I felt that was a way of forcing me out of my fan brain and into my comic writer brain. So I was like, all right, let's focus on Rocky. And then there were these pieces that Ronan set up of, of this family. And yeah, that was the natural place to take that. Speaking of his family, we do meet his siblings. We've got Riley. She's kind of almost, I think, is she like the next after Rocky? Yes. The girl with the glasses and more helpful with his mom and kind of wrangling the twins. Absolutely. And not everyone was named. So we had Riley Robin, who was the smaller boy with the glasses and the twins, which only, I think it's Raul was the only one that was named. Um, so there we're missing a twin name and kind of like the, a more emo sister of his, and I noticed that they're all like our names. So I don't know if you had names for the rest of them. Cause I mean, I was like rereading this and I was like trying to catch everyone's name going through it. They definitely all have names. I was very disappointed when you said Raul. I was hoping you would name the other twin. Cause Raul was the one I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> cause he's the one that, that meets Zordon. He's the one that says hi to Zordon. Yes. I am like frantically scanning through my emails. I don't think I'm going to find it now, but they all have names. Okay. What, what I'll okay. do is I'll tweet at you <laughs> after this with the list. And we okay. can just have, they can go straight to Ranger Wiki of the official names. <laughs> but yeah, they're all our names. I think that was Daphne's idea. It's very fun. I like yeah, that detail. Absolutely. I was just like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's going to make it way harder for me to remember them, but why not? Uh, yeah. But yeah, they all have names. I just can't remember them all right now. <laughs> And then we had King Ardon being set up as, as the main villain for this arc. So why someone from the machine empire? And it's a, definitely a name that's in the canon. He was named. So why the machine empire before Zeo? Yeah. Interesting path on this one, I think, because I was here was brought in the last, at the last minute, because that's not quite true, but it was a mm. tighter time frame than you might typically have. And a lot of this was built from what was left in terms right. of the Eltarian war happening. Like I came in and the command center had exploded and I was like, so what's the plan here for fixing that? And that was <laughs> like, yeah, Matt, what's the plan for fixing that? I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess I should figure that out. And one of the other things that was the case was that Zed was just kind of off the board. Right. Uh, and when you're writing ranges, kind of the first thing you need to consider is like, what's going to get punched. Uh, because mm-hmm. people get upset when there's no punches <laughs> and kicks, but with Zed absent and mm-hmm. him not sending monsters, that's like, what do you punch and kick? Uh, so like I needed, I needed a threat. Uh, and then as the idea was coming together of mm-hmm. most of the team going in search of the new command center, but Rocky staying behind and it being kind of a siege story, I was like, all right, we need some sort of external threat. I was like, okay, Zed's gone. That creates a power vacuum. It's like right. the mafia, right? Like if a family disappears, there's free territory. Someone's going to try and come in and take that space. Like who would that be? And then I just went searching through my mind 
And yeah, I thought back to conversations we'd had on the podcast about the show bringing up that there's just another machine empire out there. There's yeah. another king, and what's his deal? Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they don't they don't mention it. So I was like, well, let's find out. Nice. Um, and let's see if we could like take the idea of the machine empire of like that aristocracy, but find a different spin on it and mm -hmm. like who would be that like rival and counterpart that mundo hated and what might his deal be so that's how we get to it that's what i like about aradon in this run is that he's more physical than mondo he's like he feels like a king that just like goes straight to the action and he does have like this regalness about him because he gives he, he gives mad an opportunity to like surrender and just kind of like go on his way and then he's like, oh, these peasants. And, you know, that's when we get the, the, the beat down. But I do like yeah. that he did mention Mondo at one point. He's like, well, Mondo's over there trying to gain favor of Dark Spectre, which is a name that's popping up a lot more frequently in the comics, especially now in, in Melissa's run. So mm -hmm. was that kind of just a, a tie-in to kind of hint at everything in the future and, you know, sprinkle those little those little seeds in the storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in some ways, it's small part to the, like what's going on in the comics, but also just in terms of the show and the, right. the grander nature of what's out there. Because I think interestingly, something that really came through in the story, particularly these four issues was the idea of empires mm -hmm. uh, and, and monarchies, because coming out of the Eltarian war that specter was hanging over everything of there was an empire out there that had conquered and it puts a different spin on the galaxy in some ways it's not just like wild untamed territory it's carved up by these feudal lords yeah and the Eltarians are there dark specter is out there doing a very similar thing and then we've got we know the lion galaxy is out there which yep. we touch on which is also an empire with a a, a king at, at its top. Yep. And then we have like two machine empires that both have kings. Like for whatever reason, the Parangis galaxy is filled with this. Even from Ryan's run with the Hartunian empire as well. They were just another one that, you know, happened to fall because of the Imperials. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, they're, they're all over the place. Uh, so that gave us a chance to look at kings and figureheads like that from slightly different perspectives. And mm -hmm. obviously we have Mondo who exists, who is, a particular type of stereotype of a king. And then we have the king of the Lion Galaxy who we get into, who's more of an intellectual and a strategic mind. Right. So for Aradon, what I wanted to go for was more of the jockey rich person. Like I imagine he's playing a lot of like machine polo, you know? Uh, yeah. And like he's, very strong and very capable, mm -hmm. but only because he has no other responsibilities. Like he could spend his whole time right. getting good and strong and powerful because he's extremely privileged. And that's the energy that he brings in. That's a little bit different to Mondo is he's very capable, but also his ego is so easily pierced and that yeah. erudite facade falls away so quickly when he's challenged and that violent and very like petty monster underneath is so, so ready to come out at any moment. And it's a fun character to write in a couple of ways because of that. 
Yeah, it was just a great setup with issue 17. And then we find out that one of the planets that they need to go to is uh, this Aegis uh, 5, which is a, a water planet, which I think a lot of people, when they saw a water planet, was like, oh my God, it's, they're going to Aquatar. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, th- there's, there's more planets out there in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if there's not more planets out there that have water in the galaxy, we have a lot of problems. Right. Uh, expansion is going to be difficult yeah but i think like i knew early on that i wanted to go to the lion galaxy and with that in mind i just kind of wanted to do somewhere new and i I knew that because of the nature of what they're doing which was trying to find the eltarian outpost they had to go to places recently visited by the eltarian empire and what i wanted to do was do one that was how did the eltarians affect something relatively familiar to us in the Lion Galaxy, but then how did the Eltarians affect somewhere completely new in a society completely unknown to us so that we could feel the impacts of imperialism mm-hmm. in a in a very different way? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that kind of sets everything up for the after effects of the Eltarian War was that mm. Zordon is a lot more thoughtful in this. And issue 18 opens up with basically Grace and Zordon having this amazing conversation. So what was the thought process of this more reflective Zordon? Because he starts off at a really bad place with Matt. Like Matt has no respect for him, doesn't really care who Zordon is. I mean, Matt was forgetting Zordon's name and mispronouncing his name in Ryan's run. And then we just get this great conversation with Grace Sterling and Zordon. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it was making sure that what I was doing was very much continuing the threads of Ryan's run and not just coming in and being like, all mm-hmm. right, let's do my parody story. I want to make sure that we're continuing this, this like ongoing narrative that has gone from Kyle to Ryan to myself and now to Melissa. And Zordon has like, especially towards the start, like Zordon's a very pompous figure in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. I don't think he means to be, but he comes from a place of supreme authority and like he's on a planet of essentially dumb monkeys and he's sharing his like space wizard wisdom with them. And I think Matt has always bristled against that. I think in part because Zordon chose all of his friend group except him to come and do the secret thing and force yeah. his friends to lie to him. And also after that, he's been under the mentorship of Grace, who very understandably has her own issues with Zordon. So he was not in a place to love Zordon to begin with. Right. And what he's seen now, and I think both himself and Grace and kind of everybody, was seeing Zordon humbled because. Zordon spent this whole time talking about the grand authority of the Eltarians and how their way is, you know, best and how we must follow in their teachings and mm-hmm. everything that Zordon, like the way Zordon teaches the Rangers flows down through the Eltarian Empire. And then the Eltarian Empire came to Earth and almost destroyed everything. So Zordon is suddenly very low status. Yeah. And that's painful for Zordon. And it allows Matt a moment of catharsis and allows him to kick Zordon when Zordon's down a little bit, but it also levels the playing field and it allows Mm -hmm. them all to kind of have some honest conversations in a way that I don't think Zordon would have been ready to hear before. Sure. But now it's like Matt can say like, wow, you f***ed up pretty bad. (laughs) And, but also 
that's human. And suddenly mm-hmm. I can connect with you in a small way and maybe we can start to mend these bridges. And I was really fond of that moment where Zordon gets to say to Matt, like, I didn't pick you and I didn't pick Tommy either. And you both are amazing. Yeah. So what that tells me is maybe my only job, which is to be in the tube and pick who gets who gets the powers. Maybe I'm bad at that. Maybe I'm completely redundant. And that's terrifying to me. But at least in acknowledging that, I can acknowledge that you are fantastic all on your own. And that has nothing to do with me. Speaking of that conversation, <laughs> so wh- where, where did the term uh, wa- watermelon helmet come from? <laughs> Uh, it came from when Tommy is the Green Ranger for the last time, his grand last stand, his last heroic moment is to hide in a pile of watermelons and <laughs> oh, yeah, get eaten. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, right. That's, that's a reference to a very specific moment <laughs> where the fact that his head looks like a watermelon is part of his strategic plan. <laughs> Um, so I just like, I like it cause it's a, it's a fun dunk, but also yeah. like a very specific dunk. If you know, if you know the reference. Yeah. That was a really deep cut. <laughs> and that's something I, I also wanted to bring up because you packed a lot of just great references in this and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just references to pack references. Like they all made sense with the story, which is one of the things I appreciate. I mean, obviously the big things like from Ninja steel, you got the lion galaxy, you got mm-hmm. Mick coming back. You, you got Alphonse referencing yeah. your guys's story from the free comic book day issue. And some of these great references also Rocky's ringtone in the first issue of this is a Levi Weston <laughs> song. <laughs> like, yeah. And also when I was reading this, when Grace is talking to Dr. Zaskin and I'm like, oh my God, you mad geniuses, because you guys were reviewing time force at the time. And you guys just had this love for Dr. Zaskin and now he's like in the comic book at an early point in his history. And, and we get to yeah. see him too. He's not just a, a voice on the phone. He's actually pretty active with, with grace and in, in these issues. He's in the thick of it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it is an intoxicating power to be able to go like, guess what? Everybody doctors ask. It's very important. Actually that's canon. And the only way I could like modulate that for myself is starting mm-hmm. story first. It's like, right. Figure out a great story that is compelling, that it makes sense, that has real pathos. And then once I've got that story, then I can start looking for the bits that best power that story that will drive that engine and then if the if the bits that power that engine just happen to be Dr. Zaskin, gravy. Like that that's good. But it, if I approach it that way, I feel okay about pulling on those pieces. I'm not building a story around my desire to get Dr. Zaskin in. I'm just trying to build a great great a good story and just keep an eye out for Dr. Zaskin's size holes, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of my approach, but yeah, I think that's a delight in it, right? He's like, the universe is so broad and bizarre and strange mm-hmm. that when you're looking for pieces to make stuff fit together, there's just like all these amazing things you can grab and be like, yeah, let's go to the Lion Galaxy. Why not? Like, let's see what that is about because it's probably weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the joy of it to me, I think. 
it was very fun to see characters like like Mick come back, and then obviously King uh, Virion with the armor that we'll see later in in Ninja Steel. So I know Ninja Steel wasn't a lot of the fan base's favorite, but I appreciate you bringing in those elements because even though it might not be our best or favorite story, it's still validating mm. that these pieces are still in the Power Rangers universe. Absolutely. It's like, it's all there. It all matters. And I think the universe is only made stronger when rather than trying to ignore bits of it, you try and find the value in bits of it. And it's that, mm. that Rocky thing, right? Of like, yeah. let's try and just pump up the value with Rocky. Let's make Rocky more interesting as best we can. And, Let's make the Lion Galaxy more interesting uh, by adding to it so that maybe next time you watch Ninja Steel, you just get a little bit more out of it. Because yeah. that's that feels like a very giving way to approach the brand because it, it inflates the, the value of not just what you're doing, but also what already exists. I mean, I love Kelson Henderson. I, he's just absolutely fantastic. He's an amazing human being, and he's just... Yep. So integral in in the Power Rangers universe, playing all these great characters, and so mm-hmm. even to see Mick come back, which you know in your and and Michael's story, where you know we actually had someone ask from Massiverse Central at Massiverse Sen, they said, uh, "Where did the idea of Alfonso Five come from?" Even before with the, like your short story, it, it was so long ago. Now when we were writing the, sh- the short story. We decided Meek's going to bring in Alpha and we're going to say that those two know each other. And that purely comes from, I think, as you're saying, like, he's such a great guy. Yeah. And he's, to me, so important to the franchise that even like if that were the only eight pages ever done, what I'm going to say is that Kelson Henderson is best friends with Alpha. That's canon. (laughs) Uh, And like, whatever else happens after that, you can't take that away from me. Uh, But of course, for that, you, the, the next logical question is like, why? Why do they know each other? Yeah. And we have eight pages. We can't get into it. But what we can say is, oh, they had these, these crazy adventures together. And we're going to see exactly one frame of it before it's cut off. It's like, we don't have time. <laughs> uh, so like cut to me and Michael just like spitball. Like what happened? And we both had this love of heists. So like, oh, they're on a heist together. And Alpha has a disguise, and I, I can't remember who said it, but it's like, oh, can you imagine him with like a little fake mustache? And then we're like, yeah, and then like a top hat, and like building up his character. <laughs> and then I know Michael said this part was like, yeah, under this like disguise, he's hairdresser to the stars. And I was like, is that hairdresser to the stars like celebrities? Well, it's somehow hairdresser to celestial bodies. And Michael said, I don't know. It just sounds cool. And that didn't make it into that, but that stuck in my head all these, all these years later. Yep. So that like that existed in that moment. And then as I was building out this story in the Lion Galaxy, I was like, this is a heist. I was like, yep. what can we do? Like, I want to get some, like some real heisty stuff in there. I want to like have some people you know, going down an elevator shaft filled with laser tripwires. And I want to have people like scaling mountains to get in the back way. And I want to have people in disguises sneaking in. And then just like in my brain, tick, 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 disguises, alpha. Oh oh my God. (laughs) Uh, And then we're going to do it. But then again, it's like, I'm not just, it's not going to be just a reference to myself. Right. We're going to make this a character. It's going to be about actually, Alpha is incredibly capable and he's also a walking internet 
and they kind of treat him like he's a bit of a goofy sidekick. So we're going to have people underestimate Alpha. He's going to say something ridiculous, like, I'm going to be this guy called Alfonso Favori, and I'm going to, like, blend in, and then he's going to nail it. And everyone will be blown away by this guy. So yeah, that's the story of that. I love him. Yeah, it's so great. I love Alpha. He's just one of the best parts of Mighty Morphin. And to bring it together and then, you know, also reference Mick and and have Mick be there for a page was was just great. And yeah. and it was crazy because like with Dino Fury, Mick was able to come back for one episode of that. And it's just it just mm-hmm. makes that world feel so much larger. Absolutely. And it should be. Like it is it is one interconnected world. It's one long, strange story. And the more we can make it feel like that, the better. Exactly. Moving on, like I said, there's that great conversation with Kim and Adam that plants that little seed about her being replaceable. And then that Mm. leads into Mighty Morphin issue 21. But before we get to there, just an amazing sequence at the end of Mighty Morphin 20, where Matt and Rocky have this great conversation and it builds upon what Ryan did. Like there was that moment Mm. where rocky questioned jason like why me why am i the red ranger and we get that again with with his confidence here and i really like how this conversation really evolves both of these characters like it definitely gives matt more heart and it makes rocky vulnerable but someone who can like step up to the charge and what a great moment of like rocky being able to use the dragon shield and and dagger which we never saw on the show Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. I loved this dynamic. I think there's something so, like, fundamental about the Red Ranger-Green Ranger partnership and how those two characters interact with each other. But here, it's the new Red Ranger and the new Green Ranger. And what's their dynamic? I think this is them both, in a lot of ways, deciding that they're not going to be the last guys. And yeah, I think Rocky always thought he had to be the last guy he always thought he had to be jason and i think matt in some ways never wanted to be tommy and kind of hated tommy a little bit but because of that kind of became a lot like tommy and in this way it's his moment of going like ah i I really need to get past that i need to be my own guy and i could see you rocky having the same problems and because he's kind of an outsider he gets to see rocky in a way that no one else does. He has that perspective and seeing Mm -hmm. Rocky, the family man and seeing how he holds this insane collection of children together in a moment of crisis and still is the guy like defending earth, basically solo. Yeah. And like, that's a, a stability that only Rocky could have. And in some ways, leadership and resilience can be different. Like Mm -hmm. the ability to inspire people isn't necessarily the same skill as just hunkering down and being there for people no matter what goes wrong. I think that was my way in to find a little bit of what makes Rocky great and that humility and alpha males aren't a real thing, right? Like that built on some real bunk science that like doesn't make sense in the animal kingdom and has a toxic influence on social culture and humanity. But there are some people who are out there and attention grabbing and in charge and there's benefits to that and rocky isn't that he just isn't a headliner but in some ways that's good and i think that's kind of what 
this is about. It's about seeing that and being able to like reflect that back to Rocky. And the the Green Rangers Shield thing actually came so late in the process. It wasn't in the mm. outline. It was just as I was writing the scene, I was like, oh, you know what has to happen here? Because it's that amazing tokusatsu thing of there's this like very human person to person moment happening. Right. And then it's literalized with the magic symbology. He's able to go, you've earned this. You deserve the power. Let me give you mine. Fight yeah. with the power of both of us. And then it looks dope because he gets to hold a dagger and a big sword and fight with both it's of awesome. them. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's yeah. so great. <laughs> it's what it's all about. Like, that's, I think all power just should be is like very human emotion literalized with just like the dopest action you can imagine. Hell yeah. Steven Martinez at Random 90s Fan uh, said, first, thank you for your time in the book. Is there anything you wish you could have added to Rocky's story? Do you feel that you redeemed him as a Red Ranger as he isn't much of a fan favorite? Mm. Uh, I don't think there's anything I wanted to add necessarily. I think having done that story, I feel like I could write Rocky more. I feel like I found my in and I could do that for a while, but there's nothing that feels like unaddressed in my mind. Sure. As for redemption, I don't want to like... It sounds very egotistical to be like, I fixed Rocky. <laughs> right. um, there's fun to be found in Rocky anyway. I enjoy Zio Rocky sometimes. Like, I like Rocky who's decided that he's not the cool one and kind of owns right. it and is a bit of a goof. So it's not like Rocky is without merit. But yeah, I do hope that I've fleshed out Rocky a little bit and it's been additive. Um, and to whatever extent that happened, I do feel a sense of pride for that. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that Ryan did initially with Rocky's characters, kind of make him more of the jokester to align more of him with his Zeo personality. But I really like what you added with the, the family aspect, because it really shows that Rocky has all this other responsibility and weight on his shoulder. And that's where that line comes in where Rocky, you are the rock, like you're the rock for yeah. so many people. And that's why they could, all the other Rangers could trust leaving him alone for him to come to that realization was, was just a great character arc moment for him. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with how it turned out. Moving on to issue 21 and 22, obviously planting the seeds for this in the previous issue. But my question is why focus on Kimberly? When I got to planning this one out, I knew that it was going to be the end of Mighty Morphin. Mm -hmm. And it was a weird one because this 22 issue series was going to be wrapping up, but it was also going to be leading directly into MMPR 100. Right. And it wasn't really an ending for these characters, mm -hmm. but I wanted to acknowledge it being the end of the book. So I wanted to find some way to make it about endings. And in the chronology of the show, Kim's the one who's closest to an ending right now. Right. So I, and like, we don't get her to that point in order that like what I have wanted to anyway, I don't think, but I wanted to examine Kim's approach to an ending so that I could approach an ending through the story and i think that's where it came from and i think it, as i was talking about before like in some ways the rocky part and the stone canyon trio to a great extent are about them finding themselves and mm -hmm. the, the sort of natural pair to that is someone who's starting to get comfortable with the idea of walking away from this and moving on so yeah that was where that started nice and we have a couple pages here with with jason and kind of the frustrations that 
Jason is going through and, and his mental state, which, you know, really leads to uh, what happens in the hundredth issue. So I, I kind of like the, the aftermath of, of the funeral and all that, but then it's so great because Kim and Trini have been best friends for years and years. And to see them now go on a shopping trip, I think it's just a fun, like mall sequence. So was that inspired yeah. by past episodes or just kind of like a fun, like girls day out kind of a thing? It was kind of a girls day out kind of thing. It was like, I knew that I wanted to have Kim and Trini spend some time together. And in some ways this was about him realizing how far they have like separated from each other in some ways and grown apart and yeah. the anguish that causes for Kim. But you don't want to like go straight to that. You want it to sort of arrive organically. And I was like, oh, what would these two do together? I was like, oh, it's Kim. She's going to go to the mall. And then we got to do that fun thing too of like, that might not necessarily be Trini's first inclination normally, but she's been in space forever. <laughs> right. Yeah, she wants to go to the mall. She needs some new stuff. In some ways, like I'm here for a funeral, but like I'm on earth. I've got to grab some bits. So let's do it. Exactly. Yeah. So good to that. And I really like the acknowledgement of, of how much that, Trini has changed because now she's like, I'm not on earth anymore. I don't have to live to earth standards. Like I can wear whatever I want and whatever the yeah. mood strikes, like just a really nice, more continuing that growth of her character. Absolutely. I just kind of like how, how Trini just kind of like they're having lunch and she makes these little side comments and Kim keeps pushing the button. And then Trini just kind of spills the beans, which seems not like Trini typically. So I know this obviously had to set up the rest of rest of the story and just kind of further those doubts that Kim was having, but I appreciate that it referenced shatter grid and necessary evil and just all of those events. And it really helps that universe go like, Oh yeah. The rest of the Rangers still have their minds like wiped. Yeah, and there's this like little kind of continuing thematic thread here of these guys coming to their own and no longer being students. Mm -hmm. And they're growing past Zordon, and the Amiga Rage has certainly been doing that for a long time. But also, in some ways, even the Morphin Masters, I think in, in some ways, this is Trini going like, there are these rules that I'm not supposed to tell you, but also, like, why? You're my best friend. Yeah. You're a very responsible person. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not going to like tell you everything because apparently I'm not supposed to, but. I'm going to tell you because I trust you and I feel like you need this right now. So, yeah. And then those, those doubts keep building in Kim. We get a great kind of like talk between her and Tommy. And I feel like kind of refocusing on their relationship because it feels like it's been in the background for a while. And that's not Ryan's fault or anything. It's just, there's these big story moments. <laughs> there's a lot going yeah. on. And so was that your goal was to just make this more like a Kim and Tommy reconnecting type of story as well? Yeah. I want to touch on that a little bit. And in some ways this is kind of setting up the last scene, or I guess the second last scene of my run between Tommy and Kim. And about that idea of moving on, because mm -hmm. like, in some ways, this is me adding texture that wasn't there in the show necessarily, but these guys had a fine relationship and there's nothing wrong with it, but also nothing really happened. Yeah. And no one was doing anything wrong, but it they just went their separate ways. And I like the quiet tragedy of this idea of like Tommy, especially here, I wanted to write him as like the best boyfriend. Like he's doing everything right. He's being supportive, but not pushy. He's asking too many questions. He's like, I'm just here for you. So when Kim gets this moment at the end of like, I think we might end up breaking up because I want to do something else with my life and you don't. 
And there's no possible way I can blame you for that. Mm -hmm. You're being as good as you can be. And like, I do love you and you're incredible, but I think we're just kind of on different paths and that's very quietly sad. And yeah, this was just about setting that up of just being like, they're still there. They still love each other. Things mm -hmm. are good, but that we're starting to see the splits in their desires and that's right. ultimately going to tear them apart. I love the idea that they get to test out the metallic armor before it's in the show. Where did that idea originate from or, or how are you inspired to include that as the problem that sets up the big cliffhanger in this issue? Yeah, I think it was like in the construction process had arrived at Kim needs to want to push the ranges forward out of the desire of like, I don't want to be replaced. I'm just going to get better. Like yeah. this kind of a healthy push. Like we need a power up. We need a level up or something like Surely, a video game. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, but like the power ranges solution to a problem is to get more powerful. So I'm going to do that. And it was in the process of like, you know, thinking about, oh, could she like get Billy to create a power up that goes wrong and backfires? And then at a certain point I was like, there's one right there. And <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I was like, they do actually talk about it being kind of unstable and dangerous. We only use this in emergencies. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was all kind of there. And at that point I was like, well, we're gonna have to do a little bit of sidestepping continuity to make this all fit together. And like, there'll be a few throwaway lines to make it fit, but why not just do the metallic armor? And also I knew we could make it look a lot more dope than it was in the show. And oh, yeah. take that idea of like, they're more powerful and resilient and they could kind of like, you know, shoot through the sky. And a little bit later when they're using it, like Tommy is tearing apart gear wheels, but he's like cutting through them with his hands. Like, yeah, that's what I want to see for the Metallica. Oh my God. I love those frames. Cause it's like, I love this so much. Like he's just, yeah. he's just unleashing on it. And it's something that we didn't get to see. I mean, we saw how powerful it was in the show, but not to this degree. And I think that's what's really cool with the medium of comics. Yes, absolutely. And then this is the big unstable element that is introduced is because this metallic armor is so powerful and unstable, it starts to destabilize the pocket dimension. And that was the great cliffhanger for this issue where we get to see these almost like reflections of future villains come through. We've got Rancic. We've got uh, Chikina's there. We've got Sledge. Yep. We've got Daishi and then mm. Void Queen. Yes. From the newest season. So were these choices for these particular villains yours? And what was the decision or thought process? Like just trying to get the best one from every era, essentially. Yeah, it was a lot of like, because these guys represent fear of the future, right? And it's like yeah. the future of Power Rangers and like fear being darkness and villainy, the future of villainy. So I did want to get a good cross section. There's someone here from the Saban era, there's someone here from Disney, there's someone here from Neo Saban, there's someone here from Hasbro. And like that informed the decision. I think Rancic's great. So I wanted to do that. Sledge oh, yeah. is my personal hero. Yes. Um, yes. Maybe greatest character of all time. Uh, karaoke Master Sledge. So like I had to get him in. And yeah, from there, it's just about like who's interesting, what interesting pairs, who looks cool. And only one that changed was originally this was Void Knight. And in the outline, Hasbro was like, well, the like most recent up to date villain you could use is Void Queen. It's like, so how about Void Queen? And I was like, yeah, great. Let's do it. 
That's why I just switch those out and then off we go. Other than that, no notes. It's that like balance of male to female ratio of like an evil Power Rangers team as well. 100%. Absolutely. It worked out really well. And I was stoked. I, like I didn't even think they'd let us use her because at that point. She's so new. Back when I was planning this, she was yeah. very new. Yeah, it was real uncharted territory, but they're encouraging. So it's like, yeah, if you guys are happy, for sure, I'll do it. And I loved it because, you know, on, on Ranger Danger, you guys got so grossed out and me as well about the cocoons and all the bug stuff in, in Lost Galaxy with <laughs> Trakina. I just love the line of Kim just saying, oh, is the bug one talking about cocoons? Like, gross. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I, I love that little line. It just felt so good that Kim was there for that because Kim feels like the one who'd be like, ew, cocoons, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> she gets to speak for us in that moment. For sure. And just an epic fight with all of these villains and taking it to the limit. Tommy gets like blown up. He's he gets Yamchud in a crater, which yeah. is a, a great uh, Moises. All Moises. Yeah. So this leads to probably the most epic moment in and it's such a great moment and just not in not just in this issue but just a culmination of everything where we get to see a pink emissary which was not introduced before until power rangers universe they they hinted mm -hmm. at the different color emissaries so how much did power rangers universe and what was going on in that miniseries kind of influence what was happening here with with the pink emissary it wasn't mandated at all. It was more like I knew I wanted to give Kim back her shattered grid memories. Yeah. And I was like considering complicated ways of achieving that. But then I thought, oh, the way you get it back historically is from an emissary. Yeah. And we had just had introduced a pink emissary. And the only question to answer there is like, why haven't we seen it before? It's like, I can handle that. Fine. Done. In she goes. Very simple and easy. And it, it allowed it to be very much about like the pink legacy uh in a very specific way that it just it worked out so cleanly yeah absolutely and that leads to just the most epic moment of all time i think in this comic ever was basically we get our forever pink yeah this brings liter back literally everyone even the most recent amelia and and dino fury so what was your thought process behind this? Was was this the end goal that you always wanted? You wanted to do like a forever pink, honor the legacy, and that's how you close out this run of, of Mighty Morphin. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't, it wasn't like late in the process, but it wasn't early either. This was always about Kim finding peace with moving mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And this forever pink style moment came, kind of fell naturally out of that out of the process of she's having fears of the future manifested of, of the villains. But then when she makes peace with the future and embraces the idea that it's a good thing, she's able to hand something off that she's able to contribute and then move on that manifests literally as well. And then at that point I'm like, Oh, so there'd be some other pink rangers. And then two like seconds into that thought, I was like, it's all of them. Oh my God. It's forever pink. Like we're just going to do forever pink. And you know, I get to get my bugbears out. Like if this is a big team up, we're going to have a team morph. We're just going to do it. I'm not going to let this pass without a team morph. So the, built kind of the issue around that moment in some ways. And yeah, that's how we got to that. It was just so epic. And 
and this fight as as well and even the the villains like kind of making comments like oh more rangers like oh there's just more of them we see so many different pink rangers team up and and fight together including both pink lost galaxy so i really appreciate that was kind of mentioned and and honored but we don't see two cats we don't see a pink zeo so so with zeo was what was the thought process of kind of excluding like zeo just having the most recent version of of cat so to speak yeah i mean this it came from this was about the people it was about all the people she would inspire so i didn't want to do like there's two cats or whatever i didn't want to do oh there's a robot ranger so i knew that i'd have to make a choice there and it really came down to i wanted to do the morphin calls and i didn't want to have it's morphin time twice right so if i gave like cat turbo great uh that that solves that problem so it was really kind of that that simple nice so george jr at ranger reviews he asked in mighty morphin 22 every pink ranger gets to use their special power-up mode except for chloe from hyperforce was there ever a draft where we finally got to see her battleizer there wasn't no just because I didn't want to like take that away. I, it's a, it's a real pipe dream that Hyperforce will ever come back. But yeah. on the off chance that that does occur, I want that for them. You know, like I don't want to like steal that moment away. So yeah, I, as far as I could turn Hyperforce canon forever, as oh, much yeah. a valid ranger as any other other rangers. But also, I don't want to like step on their toes. And now that I, I've uh, met our pink Hyperforce ranger in person and like got to know her a little bit, all the more I'm like, she's amazing. She should be in charge of that. That's all her. And uh, just one last quick question from Cosmic Ranger at Cosmic Ranger 006. He asked, were Psycho Pink or the Ranger Slayer ever considered for this Forever Pink? Or was there a reason that they were omitted? Yeah, that not even considered for a moment, to be honest. It really was that, like, this is about people. This is about the heroes yeah. that Kim inspires. And Ranger Slayer is Kim. So to me, that would make a lot of sense. And the Psycho Rangers are like, not heroes. That's not a good legacy. <laughs> so yeah, like I never wanted it to be Ranger Wiki comprehensive. Sure, you know? sure, I get sure. the comes back to, I didn't put a Zeo suit in there to make it work. This was very much about the people. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you had just such a great uh, creative team with Moises Hildago doing the artwork, uh, Raul Angulo doing the colors and obviously Ed Dukeshire, like the king of lettering for all Power Rangers oh, comics. Like, like just amazing. The MVP. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So was there anything you wanted to shout out for them? Cause I, I think Moises really crushed it. Absolutely. I was so impressed. I think even like in growth throughout the series, I Moises, brought so much of himself i think you saw there's a lot of dragon ball z references and that was oh yeah uh and found the humanity like in rangers you want someone who can capture the humanity but also capture that larger than life action and i feel like moises really got that and i'm i'm so happy with that the coloring was incredible especially in those last two issues i feel like the power of pink felt so like visceral and like tangible yeah and like an emotive at that moment so that was incredible and of course like ed dukeshire is like as far as i'm concerned he's one of the best letters in comics and the fact that he's the rock like he's kind of the rocky in only the good ways not the insulting ways he's literally done every single power rangers comic every comic yeah so in some ways like he has more claim to the the (laughs) 
Karen's comics legacy than any of us. So for know, real, I don't think I, I whatever I say won't. No one can say enough good things about that guy. Well, Matt, it's been amazing talking with you, uh, especially for your run of the comics. Right now, you've got Inferno Girl Red, which is out digitally for Kickstarter uh, backers, and then. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mention to our listeners that if you did not support the Kickstarter, so they split up the main volume of of, uh, Inferno Girl Red into three books that are coming out. And so book one will be released on January 25th of 2023. And book two Mm -hmm. comes out February 22nd of 2023. And sometime in March, I I would assume in in March 20, 20th something. So yeah, everyone, everyone definitely check out Inferno Girl Red. Uh, just I, I was able to read the whole thing because I was a Kickstarter backer. Such a great, great series. I'm really looking forward to more. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, the, all those three issues are all, I mean, on av- they average out of being double length. So yeah. they're, they're 40 pages on average. So they're massive issues. I think, honestly, some of the best art in comics Oh, yeah. um, and definitely like if you ever wanted to see me do a toku style story without any sort of corporate limitations and being able to just like build things from the ground up inferno go red is the place to go i think the massive verse is the place for that to go in general so i'd love absolutely. it if people check that out absolutely and then uh one last thing at the time of this episode's release mighty morphin volume 5 soft cover has been released which collects Mighty Morphin issues 17 through 20. Mighty Morphin Volume 6 will be released on February 1st, 2023, which will collect the Mighty Morphin issues 21 and 22, as well as Countdown to Ruin number one. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, it was lovely as ever, Eric. Um, I think you're amazing, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, until next time, we'll catch you on the next Ranger Command Power Hour. You've been listening to the Ranger Command Power Hour, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphin Grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at RangerCommandPH. Like us on Facebook and Instagram at Ranger Command Power Hour. Ranger Command is also on Patreon. Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more. Thanks for listening.